you know better. You can see up there. Good. So this is Larry and Lumpy. Larry and Lumpy. Yeah, they are kind of weird looking, aren't they? Uh, can you guess which one is Lumpy? Which one do you think is Lumpy, Sarah? This one? Oh, you think it's that one? Anybody else think it's this one? You, oh, well, you've heard this story before, right? Oh, okay. Well, yes. Actually, it is the one on the right is Lumpy. But Larry and Lumpy are lumps of clay. Have you ever gotten to work with clay before? Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, they are your average, everyday lumps of clay. But just by looking at them, you can kind of see which one is Lumpy. And in fact, Lumpy is the unhappy looking one. And sometimes the other pieces of clay call him Grumpy Lumpy. Larry and Lumpy have heard, and it's all kind of conversation going on amongst the lumps of clay, that the potter is about to show up. Do you guys know what a potter is? You don't? Okay, well, good, because I'm going to tell you. So a potter is somebody that takes clay and works with it. All right? You did know. I knew you knew it. I'm telling you what. And so the potter is going to come around and he's going to take them and he's going to shape them. But sure enough, one day the potter is getting ready to come along and you know who he is going to pick first, don't you? You have heard this story before, Walker. I'm telling you. You're right. He's going to choose Lumpy. Well, well, Lumpy said, there is no way that that potter is going to shape me. And I don't know how he did it. But when the potter tried to push this way, Lumpy went that way. And then when the potter tried to shape Lumpy the other direction, Lumpy just pushed right back the opposite way again. And in the end... In the end, the potter just couldn't do anything with Lumpy because he wouldn't cooperate. So he had to put Lumpy back on the shelf. Well, Lumpy's actually quite satisfied with himself. But because of his lack of cooperation, he ends up being just a misshapen, dried up piece of clay. Kind of ugly, isn't he? (laughs) Well, next, the potter picks up Larry, and he begins to shape him. At first, it feels a little strange having the potter shape him. Sometimes, now sometimes, it even tickles a little bit. And I've got to tell you, even sometimes it might hurt a little bit. But Larry allows the potter to shape him. Whichever way he wants. Sometimes Larry isn't really sure what the potter is up to. But all along the way, Larry knows that the potter is is in control and he lets him be in control. As a result, Larry ends up being a beautiful vase. To hold a beautiful bouquet of flowers. And Lumpy 
Lumpy remained a dried up piece of clay. So boys and girls, if you had a choice to be Larry or Lumpy, which one do you want to be? Sure, Sarah. Absolutely. I want to be. I want to be Larry. So it says in the Bible that we are clay, and God is the Potter. It actually says that in the Bible, and it says in Isaiah sixty four eight, "Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay." And you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Kids, God gives us a choice. We can either let him shape us and turn us into something beautiful. Or we can refuse to let him shape our lives. And we can, in the end, we can end up looking a little bit like Lumpy. A dried up, cracked, old piece of clay. And we don't always understand the work that God is doing in our lives. But you kids always know you can trust the potter. Because you know what? The potter, who is God, loves each and every one of us very much. So I want to know, which one of you are you going to choose to be? Larry or Lumpy? I want to be a Lumpy. You <laughs> Praise God. Okay. Kids, there are sacks there. If you did not get one of these last week, we talked about this walker this morning and Sarah. I don't think Sarah got one of these. So did you guys get a Lent calendar last week? Okay, good. You may take a bag and have a seat. Thank you, Becky. Let's give him a hand. That was great. I've been called lumpy too, but for other reasons. So. You know, it's funny because I saw a uh, posting. I'll just go this way. <laughs> I, don't, I don't make a good salmon. I saw a posting the other day that if we honestly and truly believe that God is the potter and we are the clay, then he really doesn't owe us an explanation. Oh, that was like thunk right there. I know. I hear that was a wow. I have a lot of those. You know, the whole emoji where the brain explodes. You just go, but, but, but Lord, yes, I'm the potter, or I'm the clay. <laughs> but Lord, I want to be the potter. That's really what it is. I'm the clay, and He molds us, and we have to be, we have to be willing and available. And I tell you, it's, 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 it's tough sometimes. It's, it's tough. So thank you again, Becky, and thank you, kids. You know what? The, the future of our church, right there, folks. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Miss those old Sunday school songs. The B-I-B-L-E, which we're going to look at today. That's good. Since it's a church, we should look at the Bible. You know, Jesus loves the little children deep and wide. What doctrine just in the little kids' Sunday school songs. So 
pray for your, the, the individuals that are teaching our children. They're getting a foundation. They're getting a foundation. So good morning again. Third time's charm. Um, and I've been told that I shouldn't have to worry about how long I preach. And I, I'm very cognizant of that. I'm, I'll try to not worry when the clock hits 11.30 that we just shut down. So we want to, I want to practice doing that better. But, um, it's funny because it's mentioned a couple of times today that we are, are wanting as a church to grow and to grow spiritually, whether you're a brand new Christian, whether you may not even be a believer, or whether you've been a Christian 50 years. And so today we're going to talk about the foundational beliefs of the church, the foundational Christian doctrine. These are the non-negotiable. And you want to come up after the church and challenge me on any one of them, you can, you just come right ahead. Because these are non-negotiable tenets of our faith. You can argue and discuss all day different church doctrines and, and, and articles of faith, but these are the non-negotiables. Now, your handout today is a little strange, and that's my fault, not Bernice's. I send her the handout every week. I send her in a format that can be copied front and back, cut in half, and slips nicely into the bulletin. I accidentally asked to hit another uh, enter, and it created a new line which knocked off about an inch of the handout into a third page. And when she got that this week, she looked at it and went, what in the world am I supposed to do with this? So she did her best given to what I sent her. So like I said, when you look at this going, what was, who's doing the handouts? Bernice says, but I didn't give her much to work with this week. Or I gave her too much to work with. So thank you for trying. It was, I didn't give you much. All right. So we're going to take a look at the, at the Orthodox uh, Christian doctrines. And I don't mean Orthodox like the Russian Orthodox or the Greek Orthodox. I'm talking about the foundational beliefs that Christians have held for centuries. And these are the non-negotiable, bless you, these are the non-negotiable tenets of our faith. We're going to take a look at seven documents. Yes, Mark, I thought you had a top ten. I thought you were a top ten guy. Well, there's only seven on this one. We're going to look at God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, man and sin, salvation, heaven and hell, and the Bible. Yes, there's other financial, or financial. You can see I'm, I'm back in my job during the week. There's other financial principles you have to worry about. You know, retirement. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Where did, oh, thank you, sweetheart. Look at that. My wife gave me a cup of water knowing it was going to be bad. So let's start and we'll just go right into this. Okay, we're going to go into the first one. That's God, the Almighty, the Creator, the Heaven and the Earth, of the Creator and Heavenly Father. The Bible shows us clearly that we, we, as, as Christians we believe that there is a God. Back in the old days, or back years ago, the Time Magazine had a, had a thing, does God really exist? Is there a God? We believe that there is a God. And we believe that He is the creator of the universe and everything in it. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Revelation says, For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. He is all-knowing. He is all powerful. He is everywhere. He's all powerful and he's omnipresent. So I just kind of threw all those in. Those three things. He's omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. His very nature is one of holiness. We have to understand that God is a holy God. Revelation, the first few chapters after you get through the letters to the churches, is all a praise and worship service. And it's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His very nature is one of holiness. That's why the plan of salvation was necessary. Because God as a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. 
His very nature is holiness. He has always existed and always will. That's a tough one. Always will. I can, you know what? I can picture, maybe not me living forever, but I can picture time going on and on and on. I can't picture time having never begun. I just can't picture it. I can't wrap my human mind. But God has always existed. And then when the fullness of time came, He created the heavens and the earth. He and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, created. And that is the thing, is that He is a triune God. Again, something that we can't get our heads around. But there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's the first, second, and third person of the Godhead. And we have to understand that that is so important to our doctrine. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians. And again, I have all of these there. Remember, take these, this handout home. Use it as a study guide this week. Read those scriptures. Pray over them. Meditate on them. We, we, uh, poor Chad. We'd have 97 slides if I put every Bible verse up there. So, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. What a great benediction. Okay, let us pray. There is one body and one spirit, for you are all called in the hope of your, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So we believe that God is a triune God in three personalities. And I'm not going to go through analogies of the, how you try to explain the, the, uh, the Trinity, but He is a triune God. And that's what we believe about God. You know, He is the Almighty Creator. He's the Heavenly Father. He's omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Second, we, we go into Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, there's your kicker. If you ask any religion, you ask them what they believe about Jesus Christ... And that will tell you everything you need to know, whether it's a true faith or not, because Jesus Christ is the kicker. Yes, tons of verses up there, but let's just take a look at the, the um, uh, characteristics of Christ that are non-negotiable. Number one, Jesus Christ was God. Jesus Christ was God. He was God's Son as the second person of the Godhead subjected himself, as Philippians says, and came down in human form, but he was still God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John 1. And also John 10.30, when they asked Him, Please show us the Father, Jesus goes, I and the Father are one. Jesus was God. Other religions will tell you that no, he was a prophet, he was a good teacher, he was given divine attributes, he was an angel, he was Satan's brother. There is oh, someone just no, that's not true. I'm saying some religions will tell you he's listening, he's listening. No, that is not true. But some religions will tell you that, and then they, God gave him some sort of divine powers and divine attributes. That's absolutely false. Jesus Christ was God. Secondly. He was born of a virgin. This is non-negotiable. There are even Christian denominations that are going, eh, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. If, if we, we, it doesn't matter. If Joseph and Mary had consummated the marriage or something prior, you know, it, it, the important thing is, is that he was born. He said, no, the important thing is, is that it was a virgin birth. Because without the virgin birth, Jesus Christ would not be sinless. 
And without him being sinless, he's not the perfect sacrifice. It all, see how it all falls apart? Don't negotiate on these just to make someone feel better when you're talking to them about your faith. He was born of a virgin. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. You all should have all this practically memorized. To a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. To deny the virgin birth means that Jesus was conceived like every other man, and thus negates his deity and his sinlessness. Number two, three, he's sinless. He was sinless. Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus had to be sinless in order to be the perfect sacrifice. And that's, that's non-negotiable. You can't think, now oh, you know, he had a friendship. I'm, I've got children in the crowd. He has a friendship with Mary Magdalene and a relationship and, and all this kind of stuff. And, oh, he probably sinned a little. No, he never sinned. You, have to, you can't negotiate on that point. Jesus was sinless. The, third, the next point, resurrection. Jesus was physically dead when he was crucified. And he bodily rose from the grave. The resurrection is the cornerstone of our belief. Everything else leads to the resurrection. As I said last week, I believe we can't leave Jesus in the, in the manger. We can't. He had to be crucified as the perfect sacrifice, and then he rose from the grave as the first fruits of our resurrection to come when the rapture comes. And so we have to, we have to, the res, Paul says that if we don't believe in the resurrection, if the resurrection is not true, then our faith is worthless and we are to be pitied if Jesus was not raised from the dead. I delivered to you first of all which I received, Paul says, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, knowing that He who raised up the Lord, Jesus will also raise us up with Him and will present us with you. That is the hope of the believers, the resurrection. When we die, we don't stay in the ground. That is so cool. Well, I think it's cool. And the final one, again, there's other attributes of Christ. He was miraculous, he was compassionate, he was loving. I'm talking about the non-negotiable beliefs of doctrine, the tenets of doctrine that we cannot negotiate. And return and reign. He's coming again. Acts um, 11 says, Why do you men, why do you stare into the heavens? The same Jesus which has left you will come again in like manner. John 14 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe in me also. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, you will be also. So he is alive, he's resurrected, and he's coming back. So the return and the reign is, is, is so important in the fact that um, we are, have a hope that are not only in, through the resurrection, but that Christ is coming back. I skipped one part of my note. 
is that if God had not been risen, if Jesus had not been risen, then he would have just been another man. So we can't leave Jesus either in the grave either. Not just in the manger, but we can't leave Jesus on the cross or in the grave. But he's coming back and he's going to reign. He's not coming back as a baby in the manger. He's not coming back as a suffering servant who got beaten and tortured and hung on a cross. He's coming back, like I like to say, to kick down doors and take names. He's coming back. Revelation is so clear on that. And yes, I'm going to get excited and emotional, and I apologize, take your Dramamine, because I'm going to go all over the place here, except I have to look at my notes every so often. I saw heaven open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and waits. War. This is in Revelation 19. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. His eyes, um, he has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven are following him, riding on a white horses and dressed in fine linen. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. This is the second coming. This is coming back. This is Armageddon getting ready. He will rule with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming back to reign and to rule in his rightful throne in Jerusalem on the throne of David. And he's going to rule the entire world. Folks, that's non-negotiable. If you don't, if any of these things you have questions about, come and see me, because we cannot negotiate when talking with someone else. And I don't mean to be to be um, um, belligerent about it, but don't back down. Why do we have to negotiate? Why do we have to compromise? Excuse me. You know what? The greater is He that is in the is in me than He that is in the world. We need to have that courage. And these are things that you can stand on the Word of God as truth with a capital T. Absolute truth. Next one. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the comforter, the guide, the counselor. Some have called Him the convictor because He convicts us of sin. But the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells in the believer. He convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He guides the believers in all truth. He speaks only what he is told and seeks to bring glory only to Christ. He gives us as believers the power to witness. And he's the warranty deposit confirming our salvation. Let's look at some verses. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, says Jesus in John. But the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance everything I have said. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit, we've all purchased something, a car, a house, maybe we have to put a deposit down, guaranteeing the fact that we're serious about this. The Holy Spirit, some of us has lost our deposit. deposit. The, The Holy Spirit is the down payment that God gives us, guaranteeing our salvation and guaranteeing our resurrection. So the Holy Spirit is given to us as that earnest money, as that deposit against our ultimate salvation. 
Jesus goes on to say, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus on earth talking to his disciples. For if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, the counselor, depending on looking at the Greek or whatever translation, I will not come to you. But if I depart, then I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because people do not believe in me. Thank God for the pervading grace and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. I need someone to be here with you to convict you about righteousness and holy living. And of judgment, because the ruler of this world has already is already judged. The interesting thing about the Holy Spirit, you put yourself in the disciples' place and Jesus says, I have to go away with you. And it's a good thing. And the disciples are going, are you kidding me? We had three years with you? This has been great. Three, three and a half years. And they've been right there, listening to him, learning from him, seeing miracles. But if you take a look at the attributes of God and the, and the Trinity, you've got God, the Father, you've got the Creator, you've got the Old Testament version, which is the world, always talks about the Old Testament version of God. He seems distant, he's out there, he's, he's, he's causing judgment, he's you know, raining down hellfire and brimstone, and he's all of this, he, you know, that's God, he created the world, he's all-powerful. And so God decided, you know what, I need to have them understand my love and who I am better. And so Jesus, the second person of Godhead, I'm sure it wasn't, he raised his hand because he didn't have to, and said, I'll go. The second person of the Godhead said, I'll go, I'll become human, I will live with them, I will show them your love, our love, I will have compassion upon them, and I will ultimately sacrifice myself for their sins. But when Jesus was on earth, he was still confined to his human body. You don't read about Jesus translating, you know, popping in and out, everything. Jesus was confined to the human body. So Jesus could not witness and minister to every single believer when he became hundreds and thousands and millions. So when Jesus went away, yes, after his resurrected body, he could do all that stuff. That's another story about what we're going to be able to do in the New Jerusalem with our resurrected body. Another story. So Jesus going, I have to go away because then the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit then lives within each one of us. We don't have to worry about Jesus being on some other side of the state or the country. Oh, God, I wish I could talk to Jesus. But he's not here. He's in Judea and I'm in Samaria or I'm up in Galilee. He, I, I just can't talk to him because that's the way it was when Jesus, they had to follow Jesus. The crowds had to follow him in order to hear his voice and his ministry. The Holy Spirit is in every one of us. And he speaks, they, he speaks to us from God and from Jesus and inspires us and finally he guides us. I still have many things to say to you. Poor, if you read John, you read John 14 and 15 and 16 and 17. That's Jesus pouring out his heart to the disciples knowing it's the one last shot he's got. And so he's pouring his heart out. I still have many things to say to you. You cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. This is John 16, 7 through 15. Again, all of those verses are in the handout. Otherwise, we'd have to bind a book. He will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is our communicator, comes to us in the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and guides us through our daily Christian walk. 
That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The next item is man and sin. We may sound like a very, very judgmental belief as a Christians, but the bottom line is, man is sinful with an eternal soul. He's born with a sin nature, mankind. is born with a sin nature, is separated from God. Man is in need of salvation, and man cannot save themselves. The verses are pretty easy. For all of sin, they fall short of the glory of God. And for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man is sinful. The world, the culture will tell you we're fine. You know, I'm good enough. Welcome back, Monty. Um, I'm good in a, sorry, just, <laughs> and Renee, it's good to see you both. Um, yes, I'm easily distracted. That's why I have ADHD TV at home. It just, the channels flip automatically, so. Um, I don't even know where I was. Oh yeah, man, was, they will tell you that man, uh, man is, if you just focus, Mark, focus. Man is sinful. We are born with a sin nature. And the world will say, no, we're good enough. As long as I go to church, I can you know, see any Christians, Christmas and Easter. I give $5 to the person begging on the side of the expressway interchange. You know, I'm a decent person. You can have a really long talk about how good is good. The Jews spent their entire life wondering if they were good enough. They had the commandments, they had the law, and Jesus came back and said, I came to fulfill the law. Because Jesus, after you have saved, as him as your Savior, he's forgiven you those sins. But man is sinful. And so don't anybody try to tell you, I'm good enough, or everybody's going to heaven. There's a movement within even the Nazarene church, the progressive and emerging doctrine, and I don't want to get into that, but I'm tempted, um, that talks about the fact that, you know, God died, Jesus died for everybody, so everybody's automatically saved. People like, you know, Rob Bell and Christopher Hitchens and Richard Rohr, they're, they're, they're talking, you don't have to worry because we're all good enough. Jesus blanketed the salvation. We don't have to be saved. And that's not true, folks. Men and women are born with a sinful nature. The next one, salvation. Salvation is only found through the person of Jesus Christ. We don't have to apologize for that. We don't have to say, well, okay, it's all right. Yes, you could probably get saved other ways. There are many roads to God. Pantheism believes there are many gods. So if there's many roads to many gods, you got it made. Just pick one. No, Jesus said you're either for me or against me. There's only one name given under heaven, how men can be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. And it's not, it's, not, it's not vindictive, it's not exclusive, it's biblical truth. In fact, when people say, you know, Christianity is the most, um, uh, uh, you know, hypocritical and restrictive religion in the world, the bottom line is, no, guess what? John 3.16 says, whoever, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever comes to him will be saved. Other religions, there's some sort of requirement. There's a list. We are actually the most open, welcoming, loving. Yes, now, do some Christians give Christianity a bad name? Yes. I'm sorry. God forgive us. We do. They see us as a very judgmental, angry, you know, you're going to hell, everybody's going to hell except me type of, of faith. And that's not the case. If we truly are reflecting Jesus Christ, it's anybody can come to Jesus Christ. And we are the most open, welcoming faith by our doctrine, maybe not the way some of us practice, but we are the most welcome and opening faith. There is no requirement. You don't have to do anything. 
except come to Jesus Christ. No other person can offer forgiveness of sins. There's only one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. No one else can forgive your sins. Not me, not the Pope. No one can forgive your sins but Jesus Christ. And it is not earned by works, ceremonies, rituals, but is a free gift. So those ten salvation verses up there, it's funny, it started out as a lesson again, and I'm not even going to read about the clock. Um, I, I did the top ten salvation verses every Christian should memorize. If you're going to lead someone, is it warm in here? Okay, can we turn the heat off or down or... God, bring the ice truck in there. Is there a thermostat in this place that can be turned down? I am literally dying. Pamela's over there fanning herself like she's going through menopause. I mean, for crying out loud. It's like, let's get this. It's, got, it's so hot down here. Sorry, Pamela. I just love you. I love you guys. They were in, if you can believe it, they were in my Sunday school class in Westminster. That's why they came here because they just ran away from me. And so you can imagine when they said, you're kidding me. Mark Kalaga is going to be the interim pastor? Great. This is what we had to put with, up with every Sunday. I apologize if I offended anybody. I, I'm sorry. But I started as the top ten verses that um, Christians should memorize to lead someone to the Lord. And then I turned into the top ten favorite verses of the Old Testament, the top ten favorite verses of the New Testament, and the top ten scripture passages. And so this exploded into this whole Bible study verses we should all memorize. So I took these verses and I put them together in the next slide as a paragraph. I'm just reading John 3, 16, 1, 9, 16, 30, Acts 63, all of them as a paragraph. So just close your eyes. Oh, you, can, you can't read it because I made it so small. Chad goes, could you make it any smaller? I should have done that in like four slides. But just kind of listen to the gospel as presented by all of these verses in the Bible. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God demonstrated His own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. For if you confess your sins, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and all things have become new. Amen? When you put them all together... What a rich presentation of the gospel that is. The next section, heaven and hell. Yes, there is a heaven and yes, there is a hell. Modern culture and and doctrines and false prophets and false teachings were saying, you know what, I can believe in a heaven, but I can't believe that a loving God would send people to hell. And a loving God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to reject Christ and God's offer of salvation. And I know it sounds kind of mean. You say, well, they sin themselves. By their decision, they've rejected God's love and God's mercy 
and God's salvation through Jesus Christ. But there is a physical location. And I know we could talk all day long, which I could, about this. You know, is heaven, heaven is the temporary place where believers live. Okay? When they die, Paul says, I'm, I'm absent with the body, present with the Lord. If you have a loved one that knows the Lord and loves the Lord and they've died, they're, they're, they're present with the Lord. We also know that if you pass away and you're dead and you die and you do not know the Lord, I'm sorry, but you're going into hell. And heaven and hell are two temporary places because the ultimate destination, final destination for the believers is the new Jerusalem and the ultimate destination for unbelievers is the lake of fire. So I'm not going to split hairs on that. That's why I didn't add that. But I couldn't help it. I had to say it because it was just dying to come out. But there is a location. There is a temporary and also a permanent location of heaven and hell. And we, can, we have to preach that. Many doctrines will say, no, there's no hell. You, just, you, you disintegrate. You go to various levels of hell. One, uh, uh, the Mormons believe in the, in the telestial, celestial, and terrestrial three levels of hell. So, or three levels of heaven, thank you. Three levels of heaven. So no one goes to hell. Jehovah's Witness believe in annihilation. You know, there is no... They all believe because it's hard to preach a doctrine or a gospel that there is some sort of punishment or judgment. It's hard. It's not easily acceptable or accepted, but it's the truth. That's why our love, that's why our, we should be compelled to be evangelists, to win the lost, to go into the nations and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and making disciples. That's why we should be compelled to do that, because there is a final destiny. We are meant, we have an eternal soul, so there has to be an eternal destiny after death. For our citizenship is in heaven, which we all also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in Philippians. And Matthew says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear, fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. They are real places. And finally, the Bible, God's holy word. The holy scriptures are the only basis, the only written basis and final authority and foundation for the Christian's life. It. That's it. Yes. Do I read books by Chuck Swindoll and Max Lucado and David Jeremiah? Absolutely. Godly men. They write great. I even read some of John MacArthur, you know, with a little Calvinist thrown in there. But um, these are godly men that write godly, but they're not the Word of God. Do not substitute a Christian book for daily reading of the Scripture. Okay, that is the Word of God, and it's the only written authority that we have in our lives as believers. That's why from a believer's standpoint, you can always say, you know what, the Bible says this, and I believe it. Always start out, if you're going into some sort of apologetic um, discussion with someone, just go, you know, how can you believe this? Well, the Bible says it, and I believe the Bible. Yeah, you're kind of saying, you know, like, my parents made me do it, you know, type of thing. My parents say this is right. But the Bible, it is our only authority that we need in the Scripture, in the um, in our Christian life. They are complete, the God-inspired revelation to man. Men wrote the scriptures through a number of methods, including direct dictation from the Lord, visions, personal experiences, observations. The New Testament, witness, they're all witnesses to this, the four Gospels, eyewitnesses. But in all scripture, the writers were moved, inspired, and guided by the Holy Spirit. One verse of those is 2 Timothy three fifteen through 17 It's in one of my... Ten, you know, ten lists, ten New Testament verses you should know. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. 
everything we need, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Folks, these are the non-negotiables. Yes, you could probably think of some more, um, but do not back down on any of these. These are the tenets of our faith, and they are not in dispute within the Christian world. There's a, a, a group called um, A Point of Grace, and they wrote a song, and I'm not going to sing it. I've heard what I have when I watch the video. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry for these people when I sing. You know, my dad always said, if God gives you a good voice, you know, you should always sing in the praise and worship time. If he gave you a good voice, it's a chance to thank him and praise him. If he gave you a bad voice, it's a chance to get even. But, um, <laughs> I, so sometimes I feel that's my dad, the pastor. You can imagine where I get some of this from. Um, but they wrote a song. And I just, I, I'm just going to read you the lyrics. I'm not going to sing it to you. I just go ahead and Google it. And just Google, you know, a point of grace. Uh, yes, I believe. But here's the words. Yes, I believe. I believe with all that is in me. Yes, I believe. Though the world rises up against me, I will be faithful to the choice I have made. I am determined and I will not be ashamed to live so the whole world can see that yes, I believe. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the plan of salvation. Father, forgive me for anything I set up here that was inappropriate. I got a little carried away sometimes. But God, may the, the message of our foundational doctrinal beliefs as believers, as, as Christians, Father God, may that message is the one that God across. Father, let us go out from here reaffirming our faith, feeling stronger about our faith, maybe even being drawn closer to you, maybe wanting to make a decision for you, and also be willing to share that with others. We again lift the Longmont Church family to you in the search for a pastor that you have already chosen. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and we look forward to his return. Amen.